Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 23. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 23. I'm going to read it. It says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem village, Judah territory, this was during Herod's kingship, a band of scholars arrived in Jerusalem from the east. They asked around, where can we find and pay homage to the newborn king of the Jews? We observed a star in the eastern sky that signaled with his birth. We're on pilgrimage to worship him. When word of their inquiry got to Herod, he was terrified. And not Herod alone, but most of Jerusalem as well. Herod lost no time. He was the king of Judea at this time, by the way, Herod. A Roman king who was ruling over a lot of uh, Jewish people in that area. He gathered all the high priests and religion scholars into the, in the city together and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? They told him, Bethlehem, Judah territory. The prophet Micah wrote it plainly. So now they're quoting the prophet Micah. He's asking, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? So they quote the Bible. It says this, it's you, Bethlehem, in Judah's land, no longer bringing up the rear. From you will come the leader who will shepherd, rule my people, my Israel, end quote. Herod then arranged a secret meeting with the scholars from the east, pretending to be as devout as they were. He got them to tell exactly where the birth announcement star appeared. Then he told them the prophecy about Bethlehem and said, go find this child, leave no stone unturned. As soon as you find him, send word and I'll join you at once in your worship. He was lying. He was pretending. He only wanted to know where Jesus was so he could take care of business. Instructed by the king, they set off. Then the star appeared again, the same star they had seen in the eastern skies. It led them on until it hovered over the place of the child. They could hardly contain themselves. They were in the right place. They had arrived at the right time. They entered the house and saw the child in the arms of Mary, his mother. Overcome, they kneeled and worshipped him. They opened their luggage and presented gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh. In a dream, they were warned not to report back to Herod. So they worked out another route left the territory without being seen and returned to their own country. After the scholars were gone, God's angel showed up again in Joseph's dream and commanded, get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, stay until further notice. Herod is on the hunt for this child and wants to kill him. Joseph obeyed. He got up, took the child and his mother under cover of darkness. They were out of town and well on their way by daylight. They lived in Egypt until Herod's death. This Egyptian exile fulfilled what Hosea had preached. I quote, and this is what Hosea had preached, I called my son out of Egypt, end quote. Herod, when he realized that the scholars had tricked him, flew into a rage. He commanded the murder of every little boy two years and under who lived in Bethlehem and its surrounding hills. He determined that from information he'd gotten from the scholars. That's when Jeremiah's sermon was fulfilled, quote, this is Jeremiah's sermon. A sound was heard in Ramah, Rachel weeping for her children, Rachel refusing all solace, her children gone dead and buried, end quote. Later, when Herod died, God's angel appeared in a dream to Joseph and said, up, take the child and his mother and return to Israel. All those out to murder the child are dead, 
end quote. Joseph obeyed. He got up, took the child and his mother and re-entered Israel. When he heard, though, that Archelaus had succeeded his father, Herod, as king in Judah, he was afraid to go there. But then Joseph was directed in a dream to go to the hills of Galilee. On arrival, he settled in the village of Nazareth. This move was a fulfillment of the prophetic words, quote, he shall be called a Nazarene. I'm going to talk to you today based on this text, uh, a message that is called this. You are not Iron Man. You are not Iron Man. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for your presence today. Thank you for just a spirit of healing that's in this place. I pray your peace over every life in this place. We invite you, person of the Holy Spirit, to just come and be present in this place today. We thank you uh, for your life. Thank you for your hope. Thank you for your encouragement. Uh, I pray for every heart today that has been stagnant would just, uh, there'd be a revival in our soul today so that we can walk out of this place and reflect the nature of Jesus in everything that we do. Uh, Father, I ask that you would just anoint me uh, to be able to deliver this in a way that honors you. And Father, we pray that since you're omnipresent, that you would send even more of your presence to Dallas, Texas today. Uh, Lord, as the Rams come to visit uh, the Cowboys, And uh, we pray that something happens in that stadium that is supernatural uh, to allow us to separate from the rest of the NFC East in a way that we have not done in many years. Uh, Be on Dak Prescott, Lord. Uh, Give him wisdom that he has not shown in recent weeks. Uh, and, (laughs) And thank you for all that you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, this story is, is, it's true. It, it's, not, it's not like Rudolph and a lot of these other stories that we hear. We're, we're hearing the story of Jesus' birth. And sometimes when we hear these things, we put them in the category of other fables that we've heard. And we forget this is real. Uh, we forget this actually happened. As a matter of fact, when we read genealogies, uh, in the New Testament about who beget who and all these different stories, the purpose of those genealogies, and sometimes they're kind of almost boring when we read them because we don't know who these people are and it leads all the way to Jesus. The purpose of those stories is to let us know these are actual things that happened. And in this particular text in Matthew chapter 2, we're hearing this very strange story of a king that finds out about a baby... And these magi or these scholars from the East who hear, who are not Christians, by the way, they're very secular people. These magi in this story that are referred to that that Herod finds out about them, it says, uh, you know, these scholars from the East arrived, Matthew chapter 2, and they asked around, "Where where can we find and pay homage to The newborn king of the Jews. We observed a star. And they come into the presence of this king. And they're looking for Jesus. Who are magi? They're these very sophisticated, cultured intellectuals that some people called them kingmakers. They were uh, political people who had great influence over some of the most influential people of the day. And God speaks to these men. And, show, and he shows them a sign, and they start searching for, for this little baby. 
to, to pay honor to this baby. And they come in contact with this guy, Herod, who happens to be this king. And this king is so intimidated by this baby. Now, Herod the Great was a terrible guy. Uh, he found out his wife was against him and he had her killed. Uh, then he finds out his son and his next wife is against him and his mother-in-law. If you're a mother-in-law, say, help me, Lord. <laughs> he has all of them killed. Can you imagine hanging out with a guy that you know has this track record? It's like, do you like my new shirt? You're like, yes. You know what I mean? It's like, this is not the kind of guy that you want to cross in any way, who everyone that doesn't like him, he has you killed. So he's got a track record of just destroying and just eliminating anything that could potentially challenge his power. He's got a track record, and he does the same thing in this story with Jesus. He does it to a degree uh, that is really, really scary. So I think it's, what's interesting about this story is that if we're not careful, we miss the power of a lot of stories in the Bible because we're so dismissive of anybody who's evil. I think it's also kind of funny, too, that that we typically, in any story we hear, we identify with the hero. Uh, we like to uh, just write off anyone in a story that we think is bad. And so I think in this story, we're like, I'm the magi. Uh, we, I, I'm, I'm the wise man. I'm the guy that was just doing my thing. And I got a message from God and I saw a star in the sky and it just led me here. And here I am to worship the baby. Here I am to bring my gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's me. I know who I am in this story. And we just kind of write everyone off. I think it's really interesting that that's our inclination in any story to identify with a good guy. It reminds me of my son Jude when he was a little boy. Uh, anytime we would watch a, a movie that had a great character, if we watched Captain America, and this is just something real cute from the time he was a little kid, he would just do that. We would be in a theater and my mom and dad would be there, our family, everyone. And he would just look down the road. He would go, I'm Captain America. <laughs> so, so, so basically, that just means anyone at this theater who is thinking that you are Captain America, I already claimed it. <laughs> I took it. I'm the good guy. And so that would just become a, you know, a running thing. Any movie we were ever in, he would just let you know, I'm Buzz Lightyear. He's off the table. You want to be Woody? That's fine. But I'm Buzz Lightyear. And he would do it with all these movies. Um, but I remember that as he got, and I used to think it was kind of cute, you know, so I would just, I would pick some secondary character and I would pretend that I wanted to be him so he could claim the really good character. But as he got older, I started becoming more annoying. I just, I, I, I. I wouldn't put up with it so much. So I remember like when we first saw, you know, Iron Man together, I could tell he was, you know, probably going to go there. So at the very beginning of the movie, I said, I'm Iron Man. <laughs> he goes, Daddy, you can't do that. And I said, I just did. 
And so like I would try and it would be so annoying to him that I would I would. And so any cool movie we would go to in the future, I'm just trying to mess with him. You know, we would go to a movie that had nothing to do with Iron Man. When the movie would start, I would go, I'm Iron Man. He's like, Daddy, he's not even in the movie. I'm Iron Man. So I think it just it's a pretty and we still say that to this day. I'm Iron Man. But we, I just think it's interesting that we always identify with a good guy who, while watching Avengers Endgame, is going to go, I'm Thanos. <laughs> no one ever says you're the bad guy. Why? Because we don't think of ourselves like that. We don't think we have the capacity for evil. We tend to, you know kind of categorize things into the hero, the the archetypal hero or the archetypal villain. And the villain represents all that's bad and the hero represents all that's good. None of us think that we're bad. Why? We don't see ourselves that way. We're innately unable to believe that we're inclined towards evil. So I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to say something that's going to be very painful for them to hear. Say this. Say, I already called you good looking. So I'm qualified to hurt you. <laughs> Look at him and say, you're not Iron Man. <laughs> I know that hurt. It's probably more, you don't have to say this part, but it's probably more likely that you're Thanos than Iron Man. This hurts. It hurts to hear, but it's really pretty true. What do we see in Herod? If we see someone that we can't relate to at all, we're lying. Because what, it, what Herod did is he had a tendency and a track record in his life to eliminate anything that would be a potential threat to his absolute power. And before you write him off, I want to tell you that we do the same thing. We like to eliminate anything in our life to cut off any potential for something to rise up that could challenge our absolute power on the throne of our own heart. And sometimes we even do it with Jesus. It says that, you know, when word of the inquiry got to Herod, he was terrified. Terrified of what? A baby. Terrified of a baby who was the Messiah. Prophetically, it was said about Jesus that he would be raised up and he would be the anointed one that would save Israel. He would redeem Israel. He was the hope for all the hopeless people. Herod got intimidated by a baby. And what did he do? This violent man who had a history of violence. He had a history of of taking out anyone who would ever challenge him, he had all these babies killed because he knew he had missed the Messiah. He knew that he tried to take him out and he was deceived by these wise men who said they were going to tell him where he was. They didn't tell him. They went home a different way. They got ticked off, so he, he panicked and he overreacts. And he has all these kids killed. He says he flew into a rage. He commanded the murder of every little boy, two years old and under, who lived in Bethlehem. And you know, I think when we read stories like this, 
a lot of times we check out, you know, it's, it's like, you know, maybe even when I was reading today, you're like, oh, great. You know, what's, what's this guy talking about? It's like, I'm going through a tough time in my relationship. I came here to church today. This is supposed to be a Christmas story. He's talking about killing people. And like, what, what is this all about? And I think that we can be very dismissive and we just like write off things that we don't think we need to hear. And I think that's part of our problem sometimes is that we miss the things that could actually help us because we don't think it applies. And if you don't think this applies to you, you're absolutely wrong. Because if we think this story is just about some twisted evil man, that we're nothing like, we've missed it. If we think this story is just about power positions, more people in power that are misusing power, maybe it has something to do with that. But if you think it's just about that, you're wrong. If we, if we think that we're the wise man, you're wrong. We want to be the one that hears from God and bends down and bows down and worships baby Jesus and gives him the gifts. If we make this story about power positions, we're wrong. We don't want to miss the point. What's the point? Is that the power position is not the thing that's corrupt. The human heart is the thing that's corrupt. And newsflash... We all have one. And newsflash, you're not Iron Man. Okay? So, here's the question. Why would a king be terrified of a baby? Well, I think that we find some of the answer to this in Romans. Paul kind of has this whole discourse and dialogue about what it means to be in Christ Jesus. I'm just going to tell you this right now. Let me, let me eliminate all the mystery of this story. This story is about what we should do in life. What we should do in life is what these wise men did. These wise men that were learned scholars, deeply intellectual, sophisticated people who, who knew almost everything there was to know. They knew politics. They knew language. Uh, they knew culture. They hear from God and they find out that the one true king is there. What do they come and do? They lay down all of their knowledge, all of their wisdom, not to a resurrected king, right. not to a resurrected Lord who has already conquered sin and death and come out from the grave and is standing there transfigured, ascending up to heaven. No, to a baby. Right. See, this is, this is the only place we can be. This is what in Christ looks like. In Christ means that we have been humbled by the Messiah that came from heaven to earth as a baby. You have to not only be able to humble yourself before resurrected Jesus, you have to be able to humble yourself before baby Jesus. The hope for humanity that lays there before us, innocent. And we have to put our faith and our hope in believing that he will save us. It's laying all of our wisdom and insight down. And that's why the Bible says that God will humble the wise. He'll use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. It makes no sense for us to humble ourselves to a baby. But that's what we have to do. That's what being in Christ looks like. It's humbling ourselves before a little baby. See, and that's what Paul talks about. He talks about being in Christ. He says, therefore, there, there is now no condemnation, no reason to feel bad if you're in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen from someone? He says, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. In Christ, there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to feel bad about. When we're walking in the spirit and we're in Christ. 
For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that right, the righteousness requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We have to remain in Christ. It's not enough for us to just get in Christ one time. We got to get in Christ and we've got to stay in Christ because there is only space for one on the throne of our heart and Jesus will not compete for it. You either give it to him and allow him to occupy it or you occupy it with yourself or something else. He's not going to fight for it. He already did. He already dropped the mic. When he said it is finished, he means it is finished. I died for you when you were a sinner. I love you. I want to be your savior. I want to be your Lord. I have beckoned you. I have reached for you. I have come for you. I have done everything there is to do. Now what you must do is put your faith in me. His call for you, his love for you, it came down through the, the eons of time. In eternity's past, he has already done everything for you that he will do. He is waiting for us to make room on the throne of our heart for him. He is waiting for us to not only invite him to be our savior and Lord, but to remain in him. Verse five says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. Let's keep our mind on Christ. Let's keep our mind in Christ. Look at someone next to you and say, I need to stay in Christ. <clears throat> we got to stay in Christ. Kneeling before the baby. We got to humble ourselves and kneel before the baby every day. We can't live our lives in the flesh. I have people all the time say, well, Pastor Jeff, I just need to hang around you. Mm. I don't know. I don't know if you want to be hanging around me. And if you do, I hope you're around the in Christ, Jeff. Because I promise you, you ain't going to like the in the flesh, Jeff. And it's going to be very confusing to you. And I work hard, just like all of you do, to live in Christ. Because the in flesh, Jeff, ooh, he's ugly. He's bad. He's mean. He likes to clap back. But the in Christ, Jeff, the in Christ, Jeff, this is the one, this is the man that I got to be. I got to learn how to bring my knowledge, bring my intellect, bring my wisdom, bring everything that I've learned. And I got to lay it down before the baby. I got to lay it down before a little baby. All, everything about me that is sophisticated or whatever, anything that I have figured out, all that goes. When I'm in Christ, I give it all to Jesus. The mind governed by the flesh, it says in verse six, is death. Governed. That's an interesting word. 
What's the highest form of governance there is? It would be kingship or like a monarchy. So when I'm the king of my own life and the king of my own heart, then I govern my own mind. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. It is literally impossible for you to please God through your fleshly actions. I don't care if you give a million dollars a week to a church or to God or you pay. You cannot please God living according to the flesh. It is simply not possible. There's only one way. It's living your life in Christ, in the spirit, walking by the spirit. It's the only thing that we can do that pleases God at all. Stay in the realm of the spirit. Verse nine says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit. Someone say amen. Amen. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. That's really important theologically for those that claim to have a relationship with God. I want you to hear that. This is the Bible speaking here. It says, if the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, not just God, you hear a lot of people go, well, I love God. Well, who is God? God is not just a random person. God is Jesus. It's Christ. The Bible says the spirit of, if you don't have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Woo! This is about staying in the spirit. It's about living our lives every day in the spirit. Look at, someone, look at someone next to you and say, give me five seconds. I'm trying to stay in the spirit over here. Tell someone. <laughs> say, give me five seconds. I'm trying to stay in the spirit over here. You know what I mean? That's how you stay in the spirit. You got to get in the spirit. Then you got to stay in the spirit. I don't know about you, but I don't wake up in the spirit. If you wake up in the spirit, you're about to start a prayer group for us, all right? I want you to be here tomorrow morning. And you you got to teach me something about waking up in the spirit. Because I'll be waking up in the flesh. How do I know? I just want to start eating Oreos and stuff. That ain't spiritual. It's morning. Why would you want to eat that? You're grumpy, you're mean, you just don't feel good. And I'm a temperamentally joyful person. But even even me in the morning, just don't wake up in the spirit. You know, if I I wake up and I'm going to be in the spirit, I have to make a decision to live in the spirit. Now, what happens is when you choose to live a life in the spirit, waking up and getting in the spirit may be easier over time because it's become a habit and a part of your life. Okay, when you learn how to do it, you get used to it. You wake up and you go, okay, well, here we go. Let's, do, let's, let's go for it. Let me bow my knees, hit this floor real quick, give some praise to my Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me life. Then you start remembering who you are. 
you start remembering what it's like to live a spirit life. We don't settle for living our life in the flesh because death comes from all those things. But it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. It's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Look, I'm here this morning. I know you're probably here. You're like, what is this? I wanted a Christmas message. I wanted a Christmas. It's a week. What is he? He's talking about Herod and killing people. This is brutal. Like, it's, it's gory. It's terrible. Look, I understand what you're feeling. I wish sometimes I could preach that stuff. I don't know why. When I'm praying and you, God gives me certain things that are just like, why, you know, why can't I just preach like a happy, you know, like Christmas tree message or something. But this is, this is what God is saying right now to me. And I feel like what he's saying to our church is that if we're not careful, we will be like Herod. We will run off anything that wants to compete for total control in our life. And if we're not careful, we'll do it this Christmas. We'll go through another Christmas of keeping the throne of our heart to ourselves and making no room for Jesus. He was so desperate that he did the unthinkable. Do you think we're any less desperate to keep control of our lives? Do you really think, do we think so highly of ourselves that we think we're not capable of the same thing? We do it. We do it in different ways, though. See, we keep control sometimes through religion. You say, well, what does that mean? It means that we do good enough that we become convinced that, that those good deeds and those good works should earn us a spot to have influence over God or to deserve the things that we have. And rather than seeing as the good things of God as a gift that he has given to us by his grace, religious can make, religion can make us earn, feel like we've earned control over our lives. And what we do is we actually push Jesus off the throne of our heart and we put ourselves on the throne because we've earned it. We do it through accomplishment. If we do enough, or have enough degrees or have enough respect from people or, ha you know, have a certain benchmark that we've hit in our lives. We push Jesus out through accomplishment. We push Jesus out through wealth, through power, through greed. Money can give us influence. It can give us the ability to get ourselves out of situations and to circumnavigate God. If we don't like what God has to say, we can pay for a second opinion. We do it through pride. We make no room for Jesus through pride. And we, through pride, are so convinced of our own belief systems that we will push off, and just like Herod, remember, anyone that wanted to challenge him, anyone that wanted to challenge him, he killed them. We do it through our own arrogance. We kill anyone's opinion that tries to challenge us. We kill anyone that wants to call us out. We kill anyone that wants to correct us. How do we kill them? By blocking them out of our lives. By blocking that voice. What God is trying to speak into your life, you block it out. And you can't control what they're saying to you. The, you know, can I just tell you something real quick? If you don't like being corrected, don't, don't get mad at me. Get mad at God. But something's wrong with you if you don't like being corrected. Okay, and let me explain why. The Bible says whoever the Lord loves, he corrects. What's wrong with you is you don't know the word of God. And the Bible says, if the Lord loves you, he corrects you. 
That's why you need to have people in your life that are willing to look at you and go, dude, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Like, what's, what, you know, why did you say that? Why did you, what are you doing here that doesn't look the right way? That doesn't make any sense. If you can't have people help you and you feel like people are overstepping their boundaries by confronting you in Christ, what has happened is pride is doing what Herod did. It's killing off anyone that's in competition of occupying the throne of the heart. And we do it too. We refuse to submit to people that don't say all the things we like them to say. So what do we do? We wanna go somewhere or go to a place where everyone says it just like how we like it. Oh, that's how I like to hear it. And rather than growing and being stretched, you follow me? I, I'm, I don't think that you know, Jesus' family enjoyed living in Egypt. But God had them living somewhere else for a season of their life. Why? Because he was protecting them from something. You might be in a season where you're not comfortable where you are. That's okay. How do you know God's not protecting you from something? He is. That's the answer. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The best food at Thanksgiving, cranberry sauce. Okay, that's just a fact. I'm just gonna tell you right now, if you don't like no cranberry sauce, you need to pray, okay? Cranberry sauce is dope. Okay, now let me tell you what's, what's so great about cranberry sauce. It's beautiful, number one. You take that little joker out of the thing. Y'all ever seen it? Have you ever seen somebody take that thing out of the thing? You go like that and it makes this sound. You turn it up sound, it goes. <laughs> and then what you got? Beautiful cranberry sauce. Look like a work of art. You know it does. But what does the cranberry sauce look like? It looks like the can. Now, why does it look like the can? Because cranberry sauce, when it's put into the can, it conforms to the shape of the can. That is what that scripture means when it says, do not be conformed to this world. When we live in the flesh and we do not renew our minds every day, look at someone next to you say, don't get mad. But you look like some cranberry sauce right now. Tell us why you look like some cranberry sauce. That's a problem. It's a problem if you look like cranberry sauce. <laughs> and what I mean by that <laughs> is that if you look like cranberry sauce, that means you're conformed to the world. You have a mold that you've allowed yourself to be poured into that's going to fail you every time. But what it says is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how do we do that? Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says, if anybody comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Nobody said amen. Isn't that funny? You know, I mean, I didn't even say amen, and I'm the one who said it. If anybody wants to follow me, let him deny himself. See, that's what in Christ looks like, denying yourself. Taking up your cross daily. This is what Herod should have done. Galatians 5.24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What does that mean? It means killed the flesh. Killed anything 
that would dare compete with the throne that belongs to Jesus. It means every day we have to assault anything in our life that's competing for the space that belongs to Jesus and Jesus alone. Mark chapter 8, verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. All this is about us. Amen. Amen. Come on. All of this, metaphorically, is us learning how to die to ourselves every day. The desires of our flesh and the way our mind thinks. It's learning how to humble ourselves. What should Herod have done? It's really sad. I, I don't know how you feel when you read stuff like this, but sometimes it just strikes me as sad. Like, I want to cry type sad. When I read this line, it says, Herod then arranged a secret meeting from the scholars from the East, pretending to be as devout as they were. He pretended to care about Jesus. Pretended, tell me where he is so I can go worship him too. And then after it's all over with, he tries to kill every baby so he can keep his power. Oh, it's ruthless, but we're ruthless. The human heart, the flesh is ruthless. That's why we gotta be ruthless with the flesh. We gotta take it out every single day. Every day we gotta come here and go, baby Jesus, I surrender my life before you. I give everything I have to you, my wisdom, my knowledge, my intellect. I lay it all at your feet, my accomplishments. I lay it all at your feet. I want to be in Christ. I want to remain in you. I don't want to live according to the flesh. You've killed that old life. I'm not bound to it anymore. I come to you. I give you everything. This Christmas, let's do what Herod should have done. Do you know, and another thing is I, I, I sometimes start speculating. I'm like, you know, what if Herod, you know, you know, what if when he heard about this, what if at first his heart almost made the right decision? Like, what, imagine that. Imagine if Herod goes, what, there's, a, there's a, a king of the Jews? He's a baby? Okay, well, what's, what's he supposed to do? Oh, he's supposed to save us. He's supposed to be our hope. He's supposed to set everything right that's ever been wrong. He's supposed to fill that void in your heart that no matter how much power or wealth or influence or success you have in life, you still feel empty inside. What if Herod, for just a moment, felt that tug that we feel and goes, man, maybe I should, maybe I should just find that kid. And maybe I should just surrender everything to him. Isn't it sad in his case? He goes, no, no, nothing, nothing will ever take away my power. Man, I've made that decision in my own life before. It never works. Let's come here today. Let's come here before the throne. Let's come here before the manger today and see that little baby. You know, the little baby, and Jesus was raised in Nazareth. I love that. Did you know that somebody once said about Jesus, can any good thing come from Nazareth? Is anybody from a small town? Raise your hand if you're from a small town. I mean, I was born in a town called Amory, Mississippi. This is a, a hilarious fact. I've never even been there other than the day I was born there. We lived in Alabama. It was the closest town across the state line from Hamilton, Alabama, where my family lives. I've never been back. Uh, it's just nothing. Like, 
No one's ever heard of it before. So it's like, I love the fact that we're born to a king, but he's the most humble king that comes from nothing. God loves using stories like that. It's like, we're not bowing before this prestigious person when we bow before baby Jesus. We're humbling ourselves before someone who's born with nothing, but he becomes everything for us. So today, I'm just asking you, what's the point of this? It's challenging you. I wanna challenge you before we get into Christmas to take everything you have and humble yourself before this baby who is now this reigning king. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.